Hello, and welcome to G Talk and All That Jazz. This podcast is really the testimony of a friendship that spans over four decades. A friendship between two black professionals that began in Harlem, New York in the mid-1970s. As young men, both learning from each other on how to navigate the sometimes formidable and unapologetic streets of Harlem, New York, both here and now still standing with a wealth of transferable knowledge. As you join G and Jazz on their journey of reflection, listen, listen closely for the true messages about friendship, morality, and brotherly love, because their trials and tribulations come at a cost. G and Jazz will share their thoughts and opinions on a variety of topics from love and relationships to family and politics, and of course, friendship. Again, welcome to G Talk and all that jazz. Oh, enjoy the journey and wait a minute, buckle up. Yo, Jazz, what's going on, man? Welcome to another great show of G Talking All That Jazz. How's it going down here in Georgia, bro? Same thing, different day, trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents, my friend. Trying to keep my head above water. How are you? I'm good, man. You know, enjoying this uh, New York weather, 17 degrees up here, freezing, <laughs> you know, trying to stay above the fray, you know. Uh-huh. But, how, you, um, how you enjoyed the, the, the Super Bowl. I loved it, man. You it was it? a great, yes, great game. I thought it was going to be a blowout. I'm an AFC guy. I okay. really appreciate that the Bengals did compete, okay. you know, and I'm, I'm happy that Aaron Donaldson received his first Super Bowl okay. uh, ring. I do believe that Joe Burrow from the Cincinnati Bengals will be back. Okay. They have what, a great what, team. What's your thoughts on the... The halftime performance. I have I have some thoughts, but what's your thoughts on the halftime performance? I loved it, man. You I love the fact. I love you know it's our time. Those are those are our guys, man. Those that's real hip hop. Dr. Dre, Mary J, you know, Fifty Cent, um, Lamar Jakes, um, you know, Snoop. You know, I you know Kendrick I, Lamar, I enjoyed Kendrick it. Lamar, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar. Yes, mm-hmm. Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I had a mm-hmm. great time enjoying the show. I, I watched. I saw Eminem. You know, take a knee. You know his little, you know, political um, stance. I appreciate it, and it was it was a good look. Good look, yeah. I do. I enjoyed it. And Mary J. Blige looked. She looked. She looked beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, man? What do you think? I don't know, man. <laughs> no. I thought it was mediocre at best, man. Overall, not the symbolism. Wow. Of it. Not the symbolism of it. So. We are we are at the you know the the apex event worldwide the Super Bowl. There's no other event that's watched worldwide than the Super Bowl next to maybe the World Cup, right? We at the Super Bowl, and yes, symbolism was amazing, man. So it displayed what the world culture is right now, which is hip hop culture. The world culture is hip hop culture. So I totally I totally embodied, you know, all of all of the. Um, the messaging and the narrative that it, it it displayed that this is what the the world culture is this is what you know western culture is has impacted i don't know any performers from china I'm not saying nothing against china japan uh india none of those countries but all of the world knows our performers that everyone knows 50 cent everyone knows dr dre everyone knows Mary J. Blige. So the symbolism was amazing, right? The symbolism was amazing. You know, we, you know, c- culturally in terms of um, from a West Coast vibe, 
in terms of the, the specifically the, the, the crip walking and things like that. So now people are going to take crip walking and soon it's going to be in Pepsi commercials and they don't realize what that really symbolized, you know, from a from a, a ground level and, and the culture from which with the epithets uh, uh, where it came from. They have no idea. Right. So I get that piece of it. But I just truly believe that it just looked very disorganized. I didn't know where to look. I couldn't keep my eye focused on one space or the other space. Um, Mary J. Blige was the absolute highlight. Um, everyone else was just mediocre at best to me. Wow, man. You took it to another level, man. I was, I was just talking about enjoying the performance and hearing these brothers singing some classic songs so that's that why, that's why resonated I, throughout the world, man. I, know, I mean, I, I Dr. Dre, I, I Eminem, 50 Cent, you know, that. but, but listen. That. But that's why I'm I guess, Dr. You know what? Here we are. But that's, that's probably G talking out of jazz, right? That's why so I'm Dr. We're going to agree. You are a food doc. stamp. You're a food stamp. You're a wet t-shirt, right? But anyway, we have a great show coming Absolutely. on um, today. We got one of our uh, one of my fraternity brothers, uh, Mark Turner. He's a community activist. He's a uh, NYPD police officer. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm, I'm gonna love the show. But before we bring Mark on, mm -hmm. um, Jazz, let's get your disclaimer in so we make sure that anybody listens to the show. There we have our disclaimer. You want to give you a disclaimer? Yes, I would. Bong, 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 This is a public service announcement. All the stories and events you're about to hear are all true. Name, dates, and events will not be changed, and that includes for the guests. If you come on our show or if you hung with us, and it causes you to break up with your honey bunny, your sugar boo, your butter love, your side piece, your sneaky link, your uh, significant other. And you get divorced and lose half of all your goods. We are Beyonce sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> yeah, okay. We got our disclaimer in, so you know yes, what the, the show is about. So... So right now, I want to bring in uh, Mark Turner. I want to ask Mark to, uh, to tell us about himself and what he has done over the last 40 years, you know, in the community and with NYPD. And, and I want him to really drive this show. This is going to be a great show. So everyone buckle up. I'm going to introduce Mr. Mark Turner. Mark, how's it going, Mark? Very good. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be with you tonight, uh, Brother Gary. You know that. I think the world of you. Uh, and and just I can actually say um, being and and being exposed to see how you know G talk and all that jazz y'all do talk a lot of jazz. I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So now we know it is my show. Anyway, Thank you very much. I'm trying to make a dollar out of fifteen cents. He forgot the the, the adage because I have four sisters. She missed. She missed. She missed like this. So there's some there's a, there's a lot of misses and and it was his opening salvo that uh, he gave me uh, a unique opportunity to address that and I want to thank my sisters uh, for giving me the opportunity to, <laughs> to to come on with such a splash on such a great show that highlights uh, Gary you called the brotherly love unity uh, at a time in which people are talking about division. Uh, yes, on paper, it's hard, but it's from those hard moments that something good can come about it. So let's talk about what we have to talk about and what maybe qualifies me to maybe be on this show and to be amongst friends and growing friends 
is the fact that I'm a community-minded person. And I grew up in the South Bronx, so I know you guys came up from across the pond in Harlem, no knock to you. But uh, I came from the Southern portion of the Bronx. And we know a little something about uh, the hip hop. We can uh, claim, rightfully so, and as said in the bong 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 portion of this show, that hip hop started closer to my address than it did yours, but it's okay. It has reached around the globe. That to which we were doing in our classrooms is now done in classrooms around the world. And no, last night may not have been uh, the best show, but it took a long time, well into the 21st century, that to which we were doing some half a century ago to, to, to be, and I, and, and I hope that the NFL knows a good show when it sees one. And so maybe next year it'll be better than this one and the year after that be better than that. But we are seeing uh, good times. And again, community-minded person. I, I came out of Albany State University with a degree and ultimately went into the streets of uh, the Bronx after serving time, uh, and I say serving time, as a correction officer in Rikers Island. And I saw that there was a pathway for this person to have a good career, but I thought that there was a missing element that maybe I put the cart before the horse. And so I took a job where it wasn't prestigious, where the pay was not even remotely close to what I was making as a correction officer. And the praise was few and far between, but I grew a program from close to 800 young people to close to 3,500, and we did it within a year and a half because I knew that there was a hunger for young people to want to stand on the line and get a job and and rather than stand on the line and wait to get fed at Rikers Island. But that drive led me into uh, doing other things in the community at the uh, community planning board level, at the precinct council level, um, and I got to see the granular part of governance, uh, the front end of government, if you will, and I got to do fun things like help name uh, uh, an avenue, Julio Murillo de Hostos, the boulevard from 149 uh, and Grand Concourse that goes river to river, really exterior all the way down to where you can see Rikers Island. But that's not why I'm here tonight also. And as a disclaimer, and I think that that's a wonderful way to start off the show, I happen to work in the NYPD and I happen to be at the rank of captain. And to me, I'm very proud of the work that I have done with them. But tonight, when we're talking, I do not speak for the department. I won't purport to speak for the department. That was, uh, that's my job. I've worked within it. And I stand to talk about any of the programs that I've helped to create. And so just in the essence of time, Gary, and being on uh, G Talk and all that jazz, I truly am happy uh, to be with you this evening. Uh, let's laugh, let's learn. And if we agree with the other on every different topic, there would be no need for one of us. And what a sorrowful world that would be. We're in a hard, hard moment in history. But if I've learned anything about conflict resolution, it's from those hard moments. It's from those hard times that difference occurs. Last of my fun facts, just hearing, and I think I even just got it while I heard you talk about the reach of the pro of, of rap around the world. Every 80 years, we may have to have this discussion, folks. 80 years ago, we were in the midst of World War II. Somebody was trying to take over Europe. A short, diminutive individual, not about hype, but it was a short, diminutive man who had a great reign and wanted to take over the world. And he was defeated. He was defeated. 
It's one of the reasons why rap is heard around the world because of what happened seriously then. But if you go 80 years before that, there were shots fired in the Southland. And there was a fight for, for freedom or a fight for a new American economy and 5 million people joined the ranks of the working. That was the civil war. And 80 years before that was the revolutionary idea to break away from a flagship country. In that particular case, that'd be Great Britain. Tonight, tonight, one of the things that was steady in that was that we are the we are the living the, the dream of our ancestors. And every 80 years, we may have to talk about it, fight about it. But I know that I'm looking at two people who are friends for 40 plus years. And in that time, and in that time, I'm sure you didn't agree with everything that, that the other brother had to say, but it's that serious a moment in, a, in, in, a, in world history that we have to talk about what we have to talk about. Tonight, I'm gonna try to join the, your brotherhood and talk. There you go. I appreciate that, Mark. I wanna start off with, uh, my first question is, we got another black mayor for New York City. What do you think about uh, Mayor, Honorable Mayor Eric Adams and his descent as the mayor of New York City. What do you think about that? Since 1625, when New York City was chartered, Peter Stuyvesant and, and the like, uh, we've had two people raise their hand uh, and become mayor of the city of New York. David Norman Dinkins, uh, elected in 1989. My frat uh, brother, my frat that, brother. By the way, my frat brother, just to listen, you know that. <laughs> and I think even probably, well, he was my professor. So I, I, I had that talk. Uh, I'm not going to say that he had any regrets. The man loved being an alpha, but he, he knew he was in the room with an Omega sci-fi man. And, 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 and I got an A in that course. And probably right after I told him that. But that's okay. I digress. Um, no, and, and I respect my brothers from Alpha. Uh, nothing but love uh, and, and starting it off and, and, and belated happy birthday to you. Uh, great, great, great times. But I'm happy for him. Um, he wore the uniform uh, that I that that I wore. Uh, he was working on 9/11 when I was working on 9/11 when we watched our our local scene be affected by international events. And so I'm praying him and his administration well in tonight and into the future. So we talk about this change of regime, and, and we also talk about such a long um, gap in, in terms of in particular an African-American being mayor in, in New York City, but we know that New York City is, is really the melting pot of the world. You have everything in New York City. Um, why do you think that your programs were so effective um, in terms of galvanizing the community and involving youth? What approaches did you take to only ensure that trust? Because I believe, especially when it comes to the public interaction with um, police or law enforcement, um, there's always that that trust issue that presents itself. How, how did you um, bridge those gaps and form that trust with um, the communities that you serve? I would rather say than, than trial or error, we put some of the errors on trial, so to speak. And that there's some of the mistakes that we've made in the past is that young people are the first that you talk about, but they can be the last people that you serve. Why? Because they're not a voting constituency. So it becomes easy play. So when I, any program that I've ever been associated with, I never tried to go for the political element. You try to build real structural programs 
that speak to the needs, meeting them where they're at, because it's not a soundbite, it's not a slogan. And I'm not trying to knock individuals uh, who are out there really trying their very best to do things on behalf of youth, but I would draw the gauntlet and say this. Uh, two, one, I think that there's a lot of confederated programming out there. Everybody has their own little niche. And because I don't believe anything confederated ever really works, I think that we have to find unified ways to address common problems. And so I look at education and empowerment as one when you approach the youth. Enfranchisement. But enfranchisement has a political twist to it. But how do you enfranchise people? You give me young people, I meet them where they're at. We may have to do a program that grows their emotional intelligence or they're already at a level where I could place them on a community planning board when they're sitting at a public safety meeting and they become immediately an ex-official member of a planning board in which their voice is now heard and they ultimately more than likely will become a person that's going to be uh, doing things in their community, meeting them where they're at in the last three years, employment. There's programs that I see that do cradle to career. Uh, and, and they're very successful because meeting young people where their talents are, asking them what they're interested in, and then growing that talent into that business community that may also help to nourish uh, and, and foster that young person through mentoring and graduate them into a life of employment uh, and, and higher education. So it's always pushing forward, but completely understanding that we are at a time where young people still are people that you talk about, but there are no consequences when you don't live up to your promises to them. So I can tell you tonight that any program that I've ever had the pleasure of creating, being a part of, or trying to support, really, I kept the focus on those three E's, where it was some kind of educational component that was built on empowerment, enfranchisement, even with its political twist to it, and also employment. Meeting them where they were at, and that's what I did when I was the director of Summer Youth Employment Program. Thank you, Mark. Um, when I grew up in Manhattanville Projects, we had a community police officer. We had, his name was Officer Jackson, and he had a, a station right in the back of one of the buildings. He knew everybody in the project. He knew your mother, he knew your dad. He knew where you lived at. He knew where everybody was from, and and for some reason they took that away. They you know you know so so when you had a person that was considered disturbed or had issues, he knew who they was, and so he always knew how to approach that person, that individual, because he knew everyone in the neighborhood. What do you think about community policing? What's your take on that? What are your thoughts about that? Community policing is still there. Uh, again, not speaking for the department, but it has what I think one of, it inaugurated a program about five years ago called Neighborhood Policing, Neighborhood Officers. And so they do a lot of the things that we saw uh, back when we were young. I too grew up in, at a time in which uh, I believe his last name was Carter, um, but he was a, a PSA 7 officer. Um, and and he, was, he knew our names. He knew you know, we would talk about sports, kind of the way we just kicked it at the start of the show. But understand that any organization, I mean, this universal for, for all law enforcement, most of them are paramilitary organizations. So when you have community policing at that level and a paramilitary organization, the power that you're giving is at that foot patrolman's level, when in fact, in a paramilitary organization, you have layers. So someone could be an executive, a captain, or a manager, a lieutenant, a, street, a supervisor, a sergeant, 
and that person have a good program, but in a paramilitary organization, it won't work. About 30 years ago, about 30 years ago, the then police commissioner Bratton decided that community policing would have a, a different bent to it, that he would turn to the executives and say, you will represent the community and I'm gonna give you the power. You give the power to the officers. In other words, the accountability. Rather than stifling an idea, the power would come from the captain. They would have to put the eyes on their community and there would be more care. That it doesn't just start and end with Officer Carter or Officer Reagan or Officer Davis, or Officer Turner. That commanding officer is tied to that community narrative. And when you do that, the paramilitary organization moves forward. So rather than go back in time to rehash what we do over uh, community policing, let's talk about how community policing has advanced and how in a paramilitary organization, you walk in and every executive now knows what that Officer Carter, that Officer Turner, that Officer Davis is doing in their given community. So why, so why do you think that there is so much resistance, not, not just the NYPD, just across the, the nation when it comes to policing? We hear all of the, we hear all this terminology ever since, you know, really escalated or got more attention after the George Floyd um, murder. Now we hear, we hear the, the you know, from, from a political aspect, we hear we need to defund the police. We need to um, 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 reform policing. Why, why do you think that if um, you're, saying, you're, you're saying that police, um, community policing has advanced, but are there really results that demonstrate that this advancement is having an impact to improving crime and crime and justice within communities, local communities that are, are there's so many points of entry that I could I could go in your direction with. So I, I, I just because number one, when I was coming up in my neighborhood, uh, and as I, I when I came home from Albany, in the capital, I used to have to pick and choose which train station I was going to walk to. There were certain places in my old community I wouldn't walk through at night. We know about this. There were certain pe people that, in, in this chronicle, that they were renting out sizes of the street. I lost people that I sat next to in my elementary school, in my junior high school. I lost, those, I lost them to the streets, to the law of drugs and others. And so when we have to talk about what we have to talk about, let's Let's do that tonight. When, when I look back on the annals of where the quality of life in this city has gone, this is indisputable on my end. I never wanted my daughter, and she didn't, have to pick and choose what, what train station she was going to walk through, what, what time of day she's not going to walk down a given block. I'm not going to say that one particular agency, one particular city agency did it sanitation, parks department, throwing the police department, the board of ed, but that we collectively as a community, I like to believe that when I was out there as an advocate and community planning board number one, volunteering my time, that I was part of that answer. In fact, in 1997, we got an All-American City Award. What it meant was that the quality of life was changing. And in order to do that, you had to go out there and do something, maybe, and maybe it just fit for me, it was you had to volunteer and, and, and lay claim. And the, and the fun fact was I got upset that they were opening up Safe Horizons, which is there now currently, 
at near St. Anne's and 149th Street, across the street from the junior high school, and the jail was supposed to look like the school because they wanted to be community friendly. And so I went to the meeting to voice my opposition, and I ended up becoming the first vice chairman of the board. But I want to get more to your point and more to your story. Um, the more we come together, the more it seems like we seem to be apart. Communications between even brothers that, that started this great show. Uh, you picked up a phone, you dropped a dime or a quarter, let's show your age. And now you pick up a computer and you do other things and things I could talk to my friend in San Jose. But in fact, those many years ago when we graduated from high school, we may not see each other again. Um, the world is coming together. And so therefore I think it starts to have a play tectonic, a little scientific term of a shift. And so people will say, hey, look, at it, this is tough, this is hard. No, the battle between Antietam and the surrender at Apismatics, those were hard years. Those were hard years. When a young man stands out at the Lorraine Motel and he's shot, if for no other reason, in the words of Ralph Abernathy, that he died for black men's slavery and, and white man's hate. It happens on the street when somebody's kneeling down. This is not a political statement. I'm not speaking on behalf of the department. I'm telling you, if somebody kept their knee on someone's neck, that person didn't die from a large heart. He died because the other one didn't have one. So let's talk about what we have to talk about. If we have to be serious and have a difficult conversation, don't treat history as if it was a mystery. When young people, and at that particular time, Mark Turner was one of them. When I had to pick and choose where I had to walk through my neighborhood, was it fair? When I heard the sound of shots at night and I knew that young people were being lulled asleep by it and none affected and in, in the morning as if it was commonplace, that's what drove me to the streets to want to be the director of the Summer Youth Employment Program. Hell, I think I would have just did it as a supervisor. But we have to do more. And we can't sloganeer our way out of it. You defund by not paying your taxes. That's the way I see it. This is economics. You don't want to pay somebody, don't pay your taxes. If you see the tax system or the tax code as a game, I'm a civil servant. That's how I would be defunded. But I don't think as any working class person that's coming home at night and understanding this city, or I dare say any city, and I'll throw in Atlanta now that I know that you're down in Atlanta, I think anybody that's working and paying their taxes don't want to see when they call 911 that those people that they're paying come there. What they're asking for is they want service excellence and they deserve it. They want their bang for their buck. They want those people who have taken an oath to live up to that oath. And if we go in the end and we read the Kerner Commission, and I actually had somebody who actually bought me the Kerner Commission and put it down at the table. And I figured, well, they don't want me to read this at the top of it. It talked about police community relations. It talked about how the police was used as a means of keep keeping communities, whole communities in their place. So when we talk, let's look at the history of this and the Kerner Commission way back then, half a century ago, started off with, if it wasn't the number one thing, it was the number two. It was either number one or number two. And I'm gonna dare say boldly tonight, that was the number one grievance in the, in the Kerner Commission. So this is a long set story. It may be baked in to the constitution or its additional amendments. And the 13th amendment is your easy read. Like the, uh, the second amendment is the easy read where it says slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist except. Here you're gonna throw in a conjunction during freedom. 
that should tell you something's about to happen after duly being convicted of a crime. So many of the people whose high crime and misdemeanor way back when was idling. They have been playing games and politicizing freedom after, after the war ended. And, Auburn, and the Auburn jail, I believe, was the first big penitentiary open. Many of these people went to jail for idling. And so the shenanigans went on. I don't believe an African-American sat on a jury until 1937 in some states, okay? So we have to talk about what we have to talk about, but please never use history as a mystery. I don't wanna to come tonight as an academic, but to let you know what drove me to the streets was the fact that I did not want for myself and later my children to have to pick and choose, pick and choose which side of the street they were gonna walk on. I still want them to think before they look before you walk, all right? But at the same time, wholesalely, this city has changed and it changed because of the advocates that hit the street, conscientious people taking a stand. Yes, the police department playing its part and all of us have to do it as we did then, let's do it now. Have that discussion and then hit the streets and do the work. So we talk about, so we talk about this, the, the law and order, and we talk about crime and justice. And, and I love how, how you frame in terms of looking back at the 13th Amendment and, and even, you know, at the Second Amendment. And is it baked in into our Constitution, into the DNA of these United States of America? And I absolutely 100% agree that it is baked in, right? So we have this social, we have this social contract. And um, when we talk about this social contract is that we legitimize, we as, as citizens in New York City, we legitimize the police department. And this social contract says that, yeah, we legitimize you as this entity of government to protect us, right? To protect our rights. And if we legitimize you and you protect our rights, then we give up some of those rights for the, for the protection of the New York City Police Department. I think where the problem comes in for me is that black and brown people are not part of that social contract. They are not included in that social contract. And I give an example, and, and this is no shot. No, no, I'm not gonna use that. This is this is no in no way trying to um uh, no indictment. No, no indictment. Well, no, this is not trying to marginalize what happened to the two police officers in New York City, um, uh, Rivera and, and Mora. I believe, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Right. right. So when those when those incidents happened, right, we saw the coverage across the country. It was all over CNN. We saw the sea of blue heading down the avenue. Um, we saw the testimony from his wife, which was, was um, um, heartfelt. And we even, here on G Talking All That Jazz, we even took a moment to acknowledge what had happened in, back in Harlem, because that's our hometown. That's, that's where we were born and bred, right? But when you hear about the Amir Locks, or you hear about the uh, Breonna Taylors, you hear, or you don't hear about them. They're, they're completely marginalized. So from, from, the, from, from, a, from a, the perspective of an individual is that they, they still has less value than 
those who are part of this fraternity of police. So I think that that, that, that whole social contract is with what lies the problem. And the social contract is baked in within the constitution. I think if we treat humanity, and I'm not ascribing any blame, as we did since we just come off of the great contest of yesterday in the Super Bowl of teams. Uh, I'd, I'd like to believe that if that's gonna be the, the nature, please place me on the team of humanity, but not just, just for just humanity's sake. Again, I say, I beg to differ slightly with you because I saw tens of thousands of people walking across that bridge, uh, the Brooklyn Bridge and uh, various other bridges uh, in protest. I saw democracy falling out and I see myself in my current capacity. I understand protesting. I, I think that you can protest and make a fool out of yourself and you can protest and, and, and make great gains. I believe I sit before you because of people who protested. So baked into the American experience of protesting that freedom of religion, freedom of redress, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, freedom of press or RASP is the acronym is, is the founding fathers put it in the first amendment. They could have said, saved it for the enumerated clause, or they could have put it in the second amendment, but they put it in the first amendment. And sometimes we forget that. But I talk about those two brave individuals who happen to be officers and you saw the sea of blue. That is how they mourn. And they had every right to do it. And if you want to be fair to history, we did the same thing in 2014 and and in, in, in the Christmas month and during the Christmas season, where Lauren Ramos was there. We want those people who put their hand up and they swear and oh, they know that they may not go home. They know that they may not uh, 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 be able to go and the watch the way they want to. Um, and so to every person, and I mean from here to wherever the land stretches and whoever's ear could hear it, if that's what you're doing, I, play you, I pray you safe travel. But I think where we go for team humanity, when we see inhumanity everywhere, we have to treat it as such. And I, again, I think you have to have a respect for different people's narratives. I wasn't going to say this, but I worked in Washington Square Park and I had the opportunity to see what difference was. It was a lot of heightened tension. And anytime I was in that park, I was able to close down that park successfully. God makes it impossible for you to pat yourself squarely in the back or to kick yourself in the ass. And that's there for a reason. I listen to other people's narrative. I have respect for their narrative. I could beg to disagree with them and we can have honest disagreements, but I see their humanity. And when people know that, as long as they were in that park, that's somebody's child, that's somebody's relative, safe travel. And sometimes I was called out of my name, but that came with this, this the, the job description. As long as you weren't putting your hands on me, call me whatever you want. I would like you to call me by my name. But that's been the history of our people when you really think about it, called names, huh? denigrated names. And when I think about those hard moments, I think about a conversation I had with my grandfather. And I asked him, why would you, or, in, or the man I colored my father, who was a, an army man, and I just recently uh, I recently, about four or five years ago, five years ago, my father passed away and put him in the ground in Calverton. And I asked him, as I did my grandfather, young Mark Turner, why'd you do that? Why'd you sign up the fight when half the country 
when see your humanity. Basically, I didn't put it in those words when where he was at in Atlanta, Georgia. He was a Georgian. And he said, because I, I see a better America, uh, America where you will flourish. I was the first recipient of a police commissioner scholarship. I went to Columbia University. I had my master's. My daughter is a graduate of Columbia University School of Journalism. I was, I'm a working person coming before you tonight. I'm, I'm humble. And my daughter graduated from the Columbia School of Journalism and I know that she's not pushing fake news. She knows how she was raised. She knows the principles that we raised are under. If the people want to continually put us on teams and that tonight I leave and I put on a uniform or I put on the uniform of a husband and a father or whatever, I'm always be on team humanity. I think what's missing from this debate is the fact that you don't look at the team and say, as you did, well, the Bengals, somebody got hurt. You look at the Rams and say, well, somebody got hurt and that that pain not just be in Ohio proper, or that it go to California, our largest state and populated, most populated state, but that that hurt go universal from Nome, Alaska, all the way down to Maine. And when you go team humanity, that's where the difference lies. And sometimes we're gonna have to argue about it. So Mark Turner, yeah, yeah. the president, baby. I'm telling you, yo, yo, Mark, yo, yo, Jack, I swear to God, I was just getting ready to say that. I'm saying, you know, you know, and I'm, I'm this is real talk, Mark. Sure. You should be running for city council, you know, Vince. I know maybe you might be right, right now, you want to finish up your deed as a as a New York City police officer and you're doing a great job there. But you got man, you gotta man, you got an opportunity. But my question to you is this. I wanna I wanna talk about some of the the training you've done with NYPD to protect our community. If you can talk about it, I mean, only if you can talk about it, you know. I want to talk about some of the things that you've done, some of the training, the reformation that you've done with our New York City Police Department. Sure. Under, under the leadership of the then Commissioner uh, Bratton, uh, ideas were flourishing around and I had raised my hand as a person who, as I told you, was a recipient of a, uh, of a uh, sabbatical in uh, which I, uh, in my capstone at Columbia, I wrote something called Changing Course. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. So one of the first programs that we were able to put together was basically the ending of an impact program that talked to uh, what the brother this afternoon talked about, that schasm between the community and the police. And we ended that 10 year run of impact, or they did, but the program that we put up in place was nothing more than a mentoring 101. And we called it field training, where you would be ushered in the job by a mentor, somebody that would show you the job, someone that would take the time to show you the community that you'll be in for eight hours. And you're probably spending more time in that community than, you're in, than you are in your own community. So that's your community, there's buy-in. We then turned our attention to small policing principles, which at the core was a talk down before a takedown. What was it? Is that words matter. How you address people is important. And tactics is always baked in, but being tactful should also be baked in. The last was crisis intervention. And there, my friends and brothers, there I learned something about myself because my uncle was schizophrenic. And 12-year-old Mark was playing baseball, really softball in St. Mary's Park. And my uncle may have heard that I was playing in the park, so he came to see me. But on that hot July day, he had on a coat. 
I knew nothing about schizophrenia and I doubt very seriously if my mother knew anything about it. And I remember saying, Ma, here comes your brother. I love my uncle. He would die a year later. I referenced that because my mother said, oh, David, she thought that taking him home would give him something to eat. Yeah, he'd take off his coat. And she thought that would make things better. When I was asked to do that program, what I poured into myself and through the people that I had the pleasure of working with and the thousands of officers who came seriously to learn more about themselves and more about what a service excellence model would, would yield. So tonight, I say that we don't use the word disturb. The persons may be disturbed, but save it for those people that are really acting in that tumultuous manner and understand that the vast majority of people that we run across are distressed. The events of Harlem clearly show that that person was disturbed and the, and the results were catastrophic. But I wanna hone in on the programs that we've been able to, been successfully, that I've been tied to, to just bring you to the fight. I asked any officer every Monday morning, if you have not seen mental illness in your families, in the communities that you come from, if you have not seen it in yourself in the form of anxiety, which is the largest of our mental wellness challenges, then you are either lucky or you're lying. If you were lucky, your luck may run out. If you were lying, I have no use for you. The truth of the matter is Alzheimer's dementia in the next few years will pass cancer. I'm gonna say it again. Alzheimer's dementia will pass cancer as the leading death cause in America. And cancer was chasing heart disease. It may already be in us. So when a person walks to someone's room as a first responder or a neighbor seeing someone in distress, really it's a mirror reflection of the self. It may already be in us. So when we start talking about those wellness challenges, let's get well together. Let's end this bias towards mental illness. Look at the words that we have used over the last century, homes for the retarded or and, and words that we were hard words that we no longer use. We are still at that hour where we're still using wrong verbiage. But again, tonight, I'm not gonna play wordplay. What we are missing, and it's just my helpful hint, is the humanity piece. That person that's in distress, let's get about the business of having experts, not guesperts, come in. We've had too many people guessing for way too long. And let's learn together from the experts. Stop fighting the material. Stop doing it for bravado. The moment is too serious. As I said, in the eye of history, we've had to talk about it. Brothers, we've had to fight about it. We are the descendants of those people who had to fight about it. And as in a living homage to that fight comes maybe the 13th Amendment, which was imperfectly written. The 14th Amendment, which talked about citizenship and that it couldn't be deprived going from state to state. And that the 15th Amendment showed, if anything, that America was sexist because it's the only time in the amendments that I could read where it says gender specific until they make the correction and give enfranchisement to women at the early part of the 20th century. So if we have to talk about it, if we've had to fight about it, we've had to cry over it. If you register me on a team, it's gonna be humanity. I don't know if I answered the question, but I'm trying to say to you universally, any applicable program that I had, had to have that human touch to it, that vulnerability 
and that steadfastness that I might not get it right, but I damn sure gonna try to get it right. You answered it. You answered it. Jazz, you got any more questions for for, for Mr. Turner today? No, I, I know think, I know I, think, I know he's right up your alley with the amendment when he's talking about those amendments. I saw you, I saw you sparking. He's Mr. Mr. Well, Political Science, Mark. So no, I think I think that this was I think that this is something that honestly could be this talk should be heard, hopefully, by many of those who are currently in law enforcement because of your wisdom and what you have experienced. I mean, you, you have just given us, honestly, you have changed my perspective and it's hard to change how I see things, but you have honestly given a, a masterclass and what it takes to protect the community, but to keep that also, but to keep that balance of humanity as you, you know, re you reiterated throughout this show. I mean, it, you, you know, you convince me. And so when you're ready to run for president, <laughs> <laughs> you got, yo, you got, you got workers right here, Mark. I'm telling you, you got, you got a team right here, but when you're ready to run and I'm not, I'm hoping you thinking about it, just like uh, jazz said, man. And uh, once you get the buy-in from your family, man, but you need to be, that, that's, that's your next step in my, in my opinion. I'm listening. You got me sold, bro. I just yeah, want you to yeah, know that. Let me, let me tell you something. I know I'm in the room with two, two brothers who grew up and, and it's nothing but love. I feel it. I'm honored to be before you tonight. Gary, you know what I think? I think the world of you. I, I mean, I always have and, 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 and I always will. Um, here's a man who will reach out to me at those impromptu times and he's not calling about any courtesy card or any of that. How are you doing? How are you doing? That's a pillar of strength. He stands by his words. He's the living embodiment of what brotherhood is and we are all in search of. I, I, I could only say this because if my mother was ever to listen to the show as whatever God grants us her time on this earth, she likes to tell the story that when I was a little boy, I go and I would ask her, put muscles on me, ma, because I want to go I want to go out and I want to protect somebody. Policing to me, I think was a calling. I knew that something that I saw on Rikers Island did not appear, appeal to me. And when I did the summer youth employment program, there was something that ignited me. And when I stand on a corner, whether I stood there as a newly minted officer or I stood there with a white shirt with rank and I had people that I was responsible for, that that passion stayed the same. So my mom may always see me I remember that funny story about the little boy who wouldn't go to bed until she stuffed me up so I could have muscles so I could go and fight the world. I live beyond some title. I'm gonna live beyond any organization that happens to be in the fight that I think correctly is to, to save lives and to improve the, the lives of those people in, the, uh, in this given jurisdiction. And just know this, that they are imperfect, but they have to be able to admit that when they get up, that they have to try to go to be better. And so that's gonna be not necessarily a campaign slogan, but it is in at the core of Mark Turner. And because I'm in the room with two brothers that I know and I feel the brotherly existence in that bond that I now have a new friend into the years and know this, uh, anytime you invite me back, 
on the show, I'm coming back. And unlike Sammy Davis Jr. who used to say, I like your show, I like your style, but you ain't giving me no pay, so I won't be back for a while. <laughs> that, that I'm in the room with you, the struggle continues, and that history is no mystery. If we agree with each other 10 out of 10 times, there may not be need for one of us. And so I think difference makes the difference. And we have to celebrate that. Amen. Thanks for having me on. Yes, man. I want to say, on you know, behalf of G talking all that jazz, you know, Mark is yeah. my is my brother. I love him, man. You know, day one going back to 2007 when he came into the lodge. You know, I, I really appreciate you, brother. Always being there for me and my family, man. Also, always being a, a true brother as well. Um, jazz, you have any closing remarks, Jazz? Before we close out, just closing remarks, man. Before my closing list, just, we have to just. Um, give give some commercials, some really quick commercials. Um, we want to say that we um, show is sponsored by Harris Apparel. Um, you can uh, go to harrisapparel.com. You can pick up merchandise for G Talking All That Jazz. Also, we, G Talking All That Jazz, have launched a, our new website. Um, all you have to do now is put in gandjazz.com and you can see um, all of the previous podcasts and even go to Harris Apparel to purchase merchandise. We have a blog page now and you can keep in contact with G and Jazz as well. We ain't got our personal numbers up there, but you know, we, we'll reach back out to you. And also lastly, we are G and Jazz is having a tribute to phenomenal women. And we will want everyone to go onto our website, G and Jazz and nominate a woman. We have five categories. Once you click on the link, you can see the categories, um, three, 300 word essay and nominate a phenomenal woman in your life um, based on our categories. Just in closing, again, um, I know a lot of things were probably flying over Gary's head, Mark. You know, we start talking about the constitution and things like that, you know, but I really do love, you know, the piece uh, in terms of the, the, the imperfections within our, our constitution. But, but our founding fathers, good, bad, or indifferent, they, they, uh, they had foresight. They knew that this nation would change. They knew that it was not necessarily about where they were, but where this nation was going. So I do love the preamble of the Constitution. I just love it. It just says, we the people in order to form a more perfect union. That they knew that it wasn't perfect. Justice to secure domestic tranquility, providing for the common defense, promoting the general welfare, and securing the statutes of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. And I told you this evening, I wanted my children to transverse along and, and my granddaughter, I had to put a plug in for Kendi Vendi, uh, that, that they transverse safely. Excellent. So with that being said, this is the closeout of our show. Um, this this podcast uh, with uh, Mark Turner will be um, posted on our uh, website, gandjazz.com. We'll have it up probably by tomorrow. Check it out. And um, I'm G. And I'm Jazz. <laughs> and this is G talking all that jazz, and we're out. All right.